everyone. I'm Gary Nall. This is the Progressive Commentary Hour. Our theme today, opening doors that have hitherto been closed concerning the origins of COVID, the different characters involved, their relationships with DARPA and other departments within the Department of Defense, the Pentagon, the CIA, Anthony Fauci. We want to show you the story the mainstream media has refused to share with you. My guest today is known for opening locked doors. He's unique. Sam Husseini is one of America's finest investigative journalists, award-winning, and uh, he is going to give us his insights based upon all the research he's done on previous uh, viruses that have caused problems, and like the Ebola virus, that the average person wouldn't know anything about. So let us go to our guest. From Maryland is Sam Husseini. He is well known as a peace activist, as an investigative journalist, as an educator, but he's done something unique. He has taken the entire COVID issue and expanded it. He has given it depth. Why? Because what was there before COVID? What were the crises in Africa, like the Ebola virus and other viruses? Where did these come from? How dangerous were they? And at any, any time was there evidence that these could have been genetically engineered, bioweapons. Why is it that we have over 23 that we know of, according to Gloria Newland, of biolabs in Ukraine, and never once was there a story about this anywhere in the mainstream media? Why not? And why Ukraine? Of all the places the Defense Department, the deep state, could put a bioweapons facility, why would you put it in such a corrupt country that was so politically volatile and that also was right on Russia's border? What did you imagine would happen if Russia invaded this, which is now the case, and got access to these labs? What if one of these labs was, was detonated? What would have happened to all those microorganisms inside, all those viruses and bacteria? We have no idea. And is there any other place in the world where the United States has secretly engaged in this type of research? Has there anyone from the Defense Department, DARPA, or any of these other agencies come forward in a press conference and said, here's what we're doing. We want to be transparent. We're doing research on pathogens and to try to find some type of antidote, some type of protection. We're having to do what is called gain of function. We're altering it. Okay, at least we know what you're doing, supposedly, and why, but is that true? Now, right now, the mainstream media has refused to examine where this virus originated from and that it was human-made. So the question is this, how many of these experimental research labs exist? And why have they been kept secret? Who's behind them? Are there any other outbreaks that we can say might have been also due to gain-of-function research? Why did they lie about it? Why did, why did Anthony Fauci lie about gain-of-function research? Who else is behind all this? What is their motive? We're going to have a deep dive on this now. Sam, those are some of the issues that our audience would like to hear about. Please take us on that journey now to tell us what we need to know but don't. The forum is yours. The um, it's sometimes said that bioweapons are a poor man's weapon, and that's not true. Um, they have a unique attribute that so-called great powers covet, and that is deniability. Um, you can the one good thing about a nuclear war is that you know you're in it. You could be in the middle of a bio war and you wouldn't know it. Um. So there are a lot of uncertainties here because of the nature of biological pathogens and uh, because of the opaqueness of the institutions involved. They won't show us the relevant documents. They won't divulge information. But we do actually know some things. We know that there was a massive propaganda campaign with the start of the COVID pandemic to 
deceive the global public into thinking that it couldn't have come from a lab. We know that. There were two pillars to this massive propaganda campaign. One was a letter in the Lancet magazine, um, a highly prestigious uh, medical um, scientific journal. Um, uh, they put out a, a letter that purported to be a statement in support of frontline workers in February of 2020, uh, before the pandemic was a pandemic. Um, but th this was a con. The actual point of that letter was to deride the possibility of um, uh, lab origins, to denounce so-called conspiracy theories. This letter was organized by Peter Daszak, uh, the head of EcoHealth Alliance, which funded the uh, lab work uh, in at the Wuhan Institute of Virology um, and associated lab work uh, with uh, scientist Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina um, that um, uh, that did gain a function work on coronaviruses. Uh, this was an exception given to a pause in funding of such dangerous lab work that the Obama, the Obama administration instituted in 2014 and that at Fauci's urging, Trump lifted in 2017. Um, that was the first pillar spearheaded by Peter Daszak. And Peter Daszak plays a ridiculous role in all of this. Um, he had a brazen conflict of interest, which The Lancet didn't disclose. Uh, he funded the work. Uh, he would go on programs like Democracy Now! to denounce the notion that they would attribute to Trump that it could have come out of a lab. Um, they, um, he then was put on the WHO committee to find out the origins of COVID um, in spite of these ridiculous um, conflicts. And then he was put in charge of the committee of the Lancet Commission by Jeffrey Sachs um, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, another alleged effort to find out the origins of COVID. Uh, as soon as I found this out, I reached out to Jeffrey Sachs, who I sort of knew. He didn't get back. They proceeded and they basically wasted a year uh, until Jeffrey Sachs finally effectively fired. Peter Daszak because of his obvious deceits and raising conflict of interest. Um, the other main pillar of deceit um, was a uh, article in Nature Medicine uh, that appeared the following month in March of 2020. Um, it's two primary uh, lead authors uh, and what it purported to show was it purported to be more of a scientific statement um, that said that it could that COVID could not have been a laboratory construct. Um, and we know some things about the origins of that article, uh, thanks to FOIAs done by the group U.S. Right to Know. Um, but the two lead authors on that were uh, Robert Gary at Tulane University and Christian Anderson at Scripps Research. They are particularly interesting because they are respectively the president and vice president of what's called the Viral Hemorrhagic Fever Consortium. Um, this is uh, basically uh, US labs in West Africa that Africans at the time in 2014 um, uh, said might be behind the Ebola outbreak. Um, this was uh, the main crisis of 2014, um, and uh, it killed uh, at least 11,000 people um, and set the region into complete disarray. Um, I, along with a virologist, uh, Jonathan Latham, um, um, uh, went through um, the evidence for the possibility that that outbreak had lab origin, and there's a very substantial case to be made for it. Um, they claimed that the outbreak 
was the result of a small boy playing with bats in a village, Miliandu, in Guinea. This village is just across the border from Sierra Leone. Um, and as we went through the dominant establishment narrative, um, we found that it was highly problematic and basically followed a scheme of trying to frame Guinea for the outbreak in order to place the outbreak in Guinea rather than Sierra Leone. Because if you place it in Sierra Leone, then you're opening up the door for people saying, oh, that's where the US lab is. Um, so they, they found no Ebola in this village. The um, uh, father of the child who died, uh, the mother also died, does not believe that they died of Ebola. He believes they died of malaria. He did not get sick, even though he was the caretaker. The, lo the local um, uh, healthcare workers did not get sick, um, as you would expect um, if they had Ebola. They do not think that this child um, uh, had Ebola. The um, workers found uh, the, the um, German group, which pinned it on this child, led by Fabian Linders, who was also part of the WHO team uh, with Peter Daszak regarding COVID. So it's the same little cluster of scientists who are all self-interested. Um, uh, they were unable to find any Ebola in the village. They claimed that it was it came from bats in a burnt out tree that the child had gotten the Ebola from the bats and then the tree burned down and therefore that's why they couldn't find the Ebola. In past Ebola outbreaks, there had been a die off in the mammalian species if it was a zoonotic origin. Uh, there was no such die off, die off as they acknowledged in their paper. Um, when Doctors Without Borders came in to try to help after the outbreak started, they were startled at how many cases there were in Sierra Leone and uh, called it a hidden outbreak. Uh, again, seemingly part of an effort by the Viral Hemorrhagic Fever Consortium and its partners and associates to downplay the extent of the Ebola outbreak in Sierra Leone in an effort to frame Guinea, to pin it on Guinea so that the initiation of the outbreak is not associated with the lab. Um, one of the uh, affiliates of the Viral Hemorrhagic Fever Consortium is Metabiota. People might recognize that name. Um, and they were particularly um, singled out by Doctors Without Borders as having uh, skewed the data in terms of the trajectory of the outbreak. Uh, Metabiota people might recognize uh, from their work in Ukraine. Um, they seem to be a highly corrupt company. Um, and just a digression, I, I looked at Ukraine somewhat. Um, it's unclear to me how dangerous the labs are in Ukraine. At minimum, there's a high degree of corruption going on there. Um, you know, in this context, corruption is a good thing because if they're just scamming for money, that's a hell of a lot better than them threatening humanity um, with dangerous lab work. Um, so that, and my um, co-author, um, uh, Jonathan Latham went through the phylogenetic analyses um, that were put forward uh, to claim that it could not have come from um, uh, that, that pinned the origin in Guinea and found them highly problematic. They were not rooted as phylogenetic analyses typically are. They were done in a non-standard way in order to further obscure uh, the data of what was really going on there. They were done uh, by several scientists, including some of the scientists involved in the viral hemorrhagic fever consortium, 
and they were also done by Eric Lander. Um, Eric Lander is the founder of the Broad Institute of Harvard and MIT, um, uh, which is also a partner of the Viral Hemorrhagic Fever Consortium. And people might recognize his name. He was Biden's principal, um, principal scientific advisor until he was forced to resign about a year ago, um, apparently for having been abusive to his staff. Um, another interesting tie-in here is that I mentioned earlier that the Obama administration put in place a pause uh, for funding of dangerous lab work. Um, now, I should say that that was merely a pause of federal funding, and it was porous that, that they made exceptions. But it's notable that that pause was put into place in October 7, on October 17th, 2014. That's the same day that Ron Klein um, was put in place by the Obama administration as Ebola czar. Ron Klein is currently uh, chief of staff um, for Joe Biden. Some would call him prime minister. Um, and he recently announced that he was stepping down. Um, the fact that those two things happened on the same day, uh, him being named Ebola czar and then suspending um, uh, gain-of-function lab work, implies that the Obama administration itself perceived that the Ebola outbreak might have lab origin and this type of work should be curtailed. Um, again, the problem with this is that virtually no one's asking the right questions who has access to these individuals documents are scarce to come by you have to do massive FOIA requests and then they, you get massive redactions and things withheld and the very nature of this uh, work uh, facilitates uh, plausible deniability um so that's roughly the tie-in um uh to the ebola um outbreak that is that these Imagine a world where people understood in early 2020 um, that this indeed could have become from a lab. Uh, what we did have was um, complete dismissal of the possibility that it came from a lab, from establishment media, from liberal media, from progressive media, from major institutions, um, scientific journals, which had written articles about uh, the labs in Wuhan and concerns about them, um, and which had written, which had published articles by the authors, um, by the scientists in Wuhan and their associates in the United States, actually put, you know, little notices on their articles saying some people are claiming uh, this as evidence that it could have lab origin. Uh, but uh, scientists have uh, uh, shown or have determined uh, that, that uh, it, 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 uh, COVID is of natural origin. Notices to that effect to dismiss people looking at the evidence. In addition, you had big tech, of course, shadow banning and silencing and suspending um, people who uh, were putting forward um such evidence um there are a great deal of ties between these things and big tech um metabiota for example um which played a significant role in ebola 2014 and is playing a significant role now is closely associated with google um uh, all of these big tech companies have close associations with the US government. Um, the recent disclosure of the Twitter files, I think is just the tip of the iceberg, um, if not you know, sort of a limited hangout. Um, behind all of this, 
you have InQtel, which is the CIA's venture capital arm funding various um, big tech and um, other high-tech ventures. So there was a concerted effort in early 2020 to dismiss in the public mind, in the global public mind, that it could have come from a lab. We, there could have and should have been a global movement to say this type of work is an existential threat to humanity and should be either severely curtailed, halted altogether. Um, I mean, you have people like Francis Boyle who actually wrote the U.S. implementing legislation for the Bioweapons Convention. Um, uh, his law, uh, the law that he authored, passed unanimously in the Senate in 1989. Um, he's been extremely critical of um, uh, this lab work, saying that it's effectively a violation of the Bioweapons Convention, that they are basically trying to pretend that they are doing lab work in order to prevent a pandemic um, and in the process creating the pathogens that would create a pandemic. He has been advocating a complete halt to all such lab work uh, done at BSL-4s and BSL-3s, the highest level labs. We're currently in a completely perverse situation where the possibility of lab origin is being used. There was just a hearing um, on Capitol Hill, which was very skewed. Um, and the outcome of this process seems to be an argument for building more of these labs because we have to you know have greater biosecurity so we're going to build more capacity well what's that going to do that's going to create more um dangers because they're going to be doing more such dangerous lab work so we're getting into this cycle of effectively putting out fire with gasoline uh, sam i appreciate these insights and this background information because the average person is not made aware of any of this. But I also want to look at the Pfizer's, according to Veritas, Pfizer's intention to uh, create an even more viral product here. Um, they have not fully explained themselves, but one of their lead scientists in an undercover interview, he was not aware he was being filmed, was very open and honest about it, talking about, yeah, uh, and this is not going to be, you know, overseen by any administrators because they've all been gone to work for the industries that they were supposed to be regulating. And so you're not going to get that. You've got regulatory capture. It's going to be good for the manufacturers. Of these, vi uh, these vaccines won't be good for the public because there's no one there really overseeing what's being done. And we didn't need him, those of us who are investigative journalists, we didn't need him to verify that. We've had that verified in uh, whistleblower uh, cases for the last 30, 40 years. We're going to take a quick break and come back so we can now go into going after uh, some of the statements made by people that now are being refuted by legitimate scientists and physicians who have not been captured are willing to tell us the truth about how serious was this? How serious is it? Bill, Bill Gates is now saying, oh, the vaccines didn't work and didn't prevent prevention. The very thing he said it would do if we all 7 billion people got vaccinated. Now he wants to give us a, uh, a spray up the nose or in the mouth that will protect you. Uh, there's just too many characters involved in all this, none of whom have been correct, none of whom have saved lives, and they should be held accountable. I'm Gary Nall. We're going to be back in just a moment. Please stay with us. Hey, hey, hey. what's up, man? Brother, what's up? This is a hey, big party, man. Yeah, brother, like, what's up? Right on. <laughs> hey, man, what's your name? 
too many of you to cry Brother, brother, brother back everyone I'm Gary Nall we have a unique individual on the line in my opinion he is right there as uh, as champions of peace with Chris Hedges Abby Martin um, Glenn Greenwald Max Blumenthal Aaron Monte there are probably about 30 or 40 that I know of journalists who have refused to compromise refuse to go along with the party line, refuse the big contracts that come when you go along with those party lines. Look at Rachel Maddow, working one day a week and making, what, $27 million or some outrageous fee. And yet they risk everything by bringing us their truth message. He's, Sam has given us a very good understanding of all the contradictions and all the interlocking networks of friends and professionals who are working together with Anthony Fauci and Peter Desick and uh, and all Ralph Barrick down to University of North Carolina and the Wuhan lab and all these biological weapons labs that we're told we need more of, not less. By what measure? Why do we need more? And why don't we have any transparency about anything? We're finding out what we have uh, come to grips with through Freedom Information Acts and whistleblowers. So, Sam, two issues please address for the second part of our program. First and foremost is what role, if any, or what responsibility, if any, do you believe that the mainstream media has in giving us only one side of an official version and never the other side? Not only not doing that, but taking a step further, attacking anything that is said by yourself and others as being disinformation, misinformation, quackery, conspiracy theories, and then using completely discredited resources that have been shown to be tied directly to special interest groups and media platforms and the deep state as their information source. Now, if they're that good of a journalist, and these are highly educated, these are very bright people, and they're making a lot of money, and they have more resource material than anyone. They can pick up a phone and call almost any, any resource in the United States around the world, and they'll get someone to answer them. You and I, it's not the same. You know, phones hang up or don't get picked up when we call. Do they hold any responsibility for all the misinformation they've given, including intentionally and with malice of forethought, in my opinion, telling us not to make any changes in our life. If we get sick, uh, go home and quarantine. And then when you're so sick, you can't breathe any longer, go to the hospital. And then get remdesivir, this so-called miracle drug that's not. And then get intubated, which is a bad choice. And that's it. But when we were told by medical doctors, all pro-vaccine, in fact, many got the, the COVID vaccine, that now they have questions. And now they have concerns. Now they're seeing enormous amounts of people injured. So they start using FDA-approved off-label drugs like monoclonal antibodies and steroids, and as is surmise and some other antibiotics, but also vitamin C and D3 and zinc and quercetin and ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine with phenomenal results. Now there's over 500 studies, 500 together, hydroxychloroquine and, and ivermectin, showing that if we've used this at the beginning, we could have saved about 85% of all the people who died worldwide. That's about 8 million people. In the United States, that's about 700,000 people who didn't have to die if the media were honest, but they weren't. Now, were they not honest because they simply didn't know? Were they dishonest because they self-censored? Were they dishonest because they didn't want to look for the truth? Because for those of us like yourself, and others, we wanted to know the truth, so we were willing to ask the hard questions. We were able to go to every resource till we found the truth. Could you address the media's complicity in this? The media's complicity is massive and is probably more than complicity. Um, this includes the mainstream establishment media, liberal media, progressive media, people who build themselves as independent media, 
as well as the scientific media. I think there are several reasons for this. Uh, uh, one aspect is uh, people like Bill Gates have flooded money um, into various media outlets. Um, there's this sense in a lot of liberal media of this misunderstanding of what science is, you know, science to them is just simply deferring to uh, the authority. Some might say the authoritarianism of um, uh, parts of the scientific establishment as personified by Fauci. Um, I liken a lot of what's happened here with the pandemic to the Iraq WMD story. I sort of made my name as being a leading figure in pointing out before the invasion of Iraq that there was a systematic pattern of lies regarding Iraq WMDs. And you see a lot of the same tactics and patterns. For example, um, uh, uh, Dick Cheney, when he um, uh, was starting the buildup to the Iraq war, um, right after the first anniversary of 9-11 or right around that time, he went on Meet the Press and he says, the New York Times has a front page story uh, about Saddam Hussein getting aluminum tubes. This was uh, one of the stories co-written by uh, Judy Miller. Dick Cheney planted that story. So he plants a piece of disinformation in the New York Times and then turns around and cites it as verification of the charges that he's making, the propaganda that he's making in order to justify the Iraq invasion. Fauci did an almost a very similar move with that Nature Medicine article that I mentioned earlier. He helped get that published, um, co-written by Christian Anderson and Robert Gary, who were implicated in the Ebola outbreak in 2014. It would seem that he picked them because they were thus implicated. That is, that they were part of the cadre and they knew that if everything started unraveling with COVID, that it would lead to their doorstep. So he helped get that article into Nature Medicine. And then at a news conference with Trump uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, he plugs that article. And then his ostensible boss, Collins, the head of the NIH, writes a column plugging that article. And then that becomes the basis for big tech silencing anyone raising these issues. Um, so you have a massive interlocking network of media and others um, stifling the truth. Now, I think that I've, you know, I asked the CDC if it was a coincidence at the beginning of the pandemic, just about three years ago now. Um, uh, they had a news conference at the press club. Um, and I, I believe I was the first person to publicly ask, is, uh, is, this, is it a complete coincidence that this outbreak happens in the one city in China with a BSL-4 lab? We didn't know about the other labs. And they gave a very disingenuous answer to that. And that's sort of what got me focusing on this. Um, uh, and they, people can find this and other things at my Substack, um, Husseini.substack.com. And I've had to do that because I spent over a year, I got one piece in Salon, and then I connected with the good folks at Independent Science News, and I've had several pieces published there. But all of my previous contacts, people who admired my work on Iraq WMDs, um, I played some role in Russiagate, uh, not as prominent in the Arab uprisings, um, uh, uh, Rambouillet Accords on Yugoslavia, a whole series of stories. All, all of those contacts from, you know, the nation to the intercept to, um, of course, Amy Goodman played a negative role. Some people just sat it out, um, like Consortium News, um, uh, it, you know, you know, some people saw through the Russiagate stuff but then very few people saw through the pandemic stuff and it's completely tragic. And it's a lot of people who, you know, I had a lifelong relationship with, um, and they, they bought the propaganda at some level. 
Um, part of it was, you know, Trump derangement syndrome, but part of it was this deference to establishment science and the incapacity to understand what science is. Science is a lot like journalism. You use reason to decipher the evidence that you see. It's not a deferent, you don't defer to, oh, the, the guy at the uh, head of this agency says this, so that's what the truth is. That's not science. Um, that, that's stenography, that, that, that's, that's disinformation. So um, I spent a lot of time trying to get stuff into different outlets, and I failed. Um, and I, you know, I had signed up for Substack immediately, um, thinking that it might be an alternative, but also thinking like other big tech platforms, it could be, they could nuke you at, at the drop of a hat. So I was reluctant to get in there, but now there are a fair number of independent folks there, including uh, Merrill Nass and others. I also think that, you know, there has been some decent stuff on the right wing in right wing media. But it's problematic, and it's also you, you see it. There was just recently a hearing. Um, the uh, Oversight Subcommittee of Energy and Commerce just had a hearing, which I which I covered on my Substack, um, and it, um, it it showed the fault lines. The, the Democrats are in complete denial about the threat of so called gain of function lab work what what should be called what what's in the scientific literature should be is called uh, creation of potentially pandemic pathogens um and what somebody like francis boyle will argue is effectively biowarfare um creating making pathogens more deadly or more uh, easily transmissible allegedly for the purpose of knowing how to defend against them so you have the Democrats and the liberal and establishment media somewhat in denial still, even though Biden got the agencies uh, uh, to assess whether or not it could have come from a lab. And now that's at least somewhat of an open question uh, over the last year or so. Um, but on the other side, the right wing, many in Congress, Republicans in Congress, who are raising some good questions, um, have this propensity to completely focus on China, that that's, you know, that this is, becomes a mechanism to demonize China. So throughout the whole hearing between the denial of the Democrats and the um, extremely lackluster witnesses that they had, um, and the focusing by the Republicans on China, it had the net effect of pretending that US bio war, bio lab work is completely benevolent and nothing could be further from the truth. Um, and as you say, something like Project Veritas gets at Pfizer and that's certainly part of the story. Um, but I think that a deeper part of the story is this is part of a military industrial complex in effect. The life sciences are not immune to this. This notion that biowarfare, the genie has been put in the bottle, is not true. It is a, a genuine threat to um, an existential threat to life on Earth. Um, in 2011, uh, you had scientists funded by the NIH um, in um, uh in the Netherlands and at the University of Wisconsin, they made the avian flu, which is highly, highly lethal, more easily transmissible. Um, if this were to go get out, this weaponized version of the avian flu, um, it would kill, estimates vary between 1 billion with a B people and half of all people on Earth. That's what would happen if that, that got out. The New York Times at the time in 2011, 2012, actually had an editorial entitled An Engineered Doomsday? Question mark. So there was some concern. Um, after the 9-11 attacks, there was the anthrax attacks, people might recall. Um, letters were sent to members of Congress and members of the media. Some were fake like Judy Miller got a fake letter 
uh, with fake anthrax in it, but others got real, highly aerosolized, highly weaponized anthrax, including um, uh, Patrick Leahy, who was one of the very few senators um, pushing back against the then impending Patriot Act. This is right after 9-11, Bush administration is trying to launch the Afghan war, and they're trying to launch the, um, uh, they're trying to ram the Patriot Act through to restrict civil liberties. And then the anthrax attacks happened. They were a false flag attack. They had writing in them saying, death to America, death to Israel, praise to Allah, you die now. They were obviously portrayed as a mechanism to um, frame al-Qaeda and or Iraq. Um, you had liberals like Andrew Sullivan saying the Rubicon has been crossed. They have used weapons of mass destruction, and so we need to respond in kind effectively, uh, effectively arguing that we need to look at nuking Iraq at this time. Um, you had ABC um, claiming that it was, uh, they, they cited an anonymous U.S. government source um, saying that it came out of Iraq, and they won't disclose who that source is, even though they acknowledge that that was disinformation. So the media and spooks work hand in glove, sometimes in the most nefarious way. Actual scientific analysis showed that it came from a U.S. lab. They tried to pin it on a series of individuals. The case fell apart with each of the individuals, and they finally pinned it on Bruce Ivins, who allegedly committed suicide uh, before there could be a trial. Patrick Leahy, one of the targets, eventually brought Mueller before um, a committee and told him to his face that he didn't buy this, the FBI story, that this one guy did all this, sent all these letters, um, and so on. And Congress never investigated this. You have all these investigations about every alleged nuance of what happened on January 6th. Congress was under a bioweapons false flag attack, and Congress has never investigated it. So this, I, it's minimizing it to say blind spot. Um, this deference to biowarfare um, and keeping it in the shadows um, has been a longstanding problem that actually goes way back to at least the 1950s. Let me add something on to that, Sam. The year was 1989. It was uh, October issue of General Media, and I had just finished doing a year and a half worth of research on an article about the secret U.S. Uh, biological weapons. Initially, everyone said there were none, and but I had gotten a, a source from a hospital, a medical doctor in Brooklyn. This was a hospital for the poor. And they had found on a Saturday that a doctor was in there injecting what he said was vitamins into pregnant women's uh, legs. The same thing happened at Sloan Kettering, but it turns out it wasn't vitamins. It was radioactive material and cancer cells, live cancer cells. And the purpose of the studies that would be found was to see whether or not the cancer would take, and if so, what kind and how long. Then more studies came forward and including they were giving children who had cancer radio radio radioactive material on toast and then checking to see how long and to what degree their kidneys would be destroyed. It turns out there were over 1,200 studies at the Pentagon ultimately said they had tested Americans without their knowledge or consent. They used prisoners, they used soldiers uh, who were in a confined environment and always being given some kind of incentive to do something, less than sentence, et cetera, but never telling him what they were getting injected with. I tracked down one of the doctors who was involved in the experiments down in Texas, and he said to me, he said, I was a young doctor, I was in the military, and you must do what they're told. you're told or your, your career's gone, it's destroyed. You have no choice. And I said, you did have a choice. You could have a choice to honor uh, honor your spiritual values and walk away from that. 
And no matter what they might do to you, you can go out and do something else in life. But I'm seeing a pattern here. The government did all these studies from World War II, the Korean War, uh, the Vietnam War, the Agent Orange they sprayed to defoliant to get rid of the uh, overhead leaves and so that it could expose the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese uh, coming down the Viet Cong. But all the people in Vietnam, North and South Korea, uh, Vietnam, were exposed. And to this day, we don't know the full extent, but they're still having consequences and birth defects. No one in the United States took responsibility. Gulf War syndrome, no one took responsibility. I interviewed over 100 different vets who were in the Gulf who said bombs would go off at night, you'd hear, um, and then suddenly about two or three minutes later, your whole body would be covered with this kind of yellow dust, and your skin be burning, and uh, then in the morning, in come with guys with white suits and dig it all up and say this never happened. And every one of those guys got sick. But it was Colin Powell who said there were no weapons of mass destruction in that. There were no chemical or biological agents. There were both. And we were lied to. There were study after study showing that Gulf War syndrome was real, but none of the vets were helped. So all this is happening. Not a single person held accountable, not one. Not a single member of the media who exploited this and fed these lies, has apologized and say, I don't deserve to be on this air anymore because, unfortunately, I was the cipher of misinformation that caused lives. No one takes responsibility for anything. That's my own personal and subjective opinion. I'd like to hear yours. No, I, I think that this um, continuous pattern from all several major stories, um, including Iraq WMD, that's the one that I know the best, the fact that no one is held responsible, that we don't have accountable speech, ensures the next disaster, because it ensures the mechanisms are in place so that agents of disinformation in the government and in the media know that they can collude, work together, create another disaster, and that they'll get away with it. And until there are mechanisms in place to stop that, um, we're, I think, doomed to continual disasters. Um, I mentioned the anthrax tax. Incredible that this pivotal event that helped launch all of the wars that we had in the Middle East was never investigated. It just the FBI said this guy did it. He committed suicide. There's no trial. End of story. This is ridiculous. This is insane. And then they actually use, after they acknowledge that the anthrax attack, that the anthrax came out of a U.S. or a U.S. allied lab, they, they apparently shared spores with um, England and Israel. So that's possible, but it likely came out of a U.S. lab. They then um, use that as an excuse to put more money into more dangerous biological weapons, to more of this gain-of-function research. By 2005, a couple of years after 9-11, you had a petition by 700 scientists uh, to the NIH saying, you're spending too much time on this, they use the term biodefense, this biodefense work, and you're perverting our field. You're, you're making the field, you know, uh, into something that it shouldn't be. They didn't say militarized, but that's what they meant. Um, and it was Fauci who responded to them and who basically said, um, uh, the, uh, our elected representatives, he's talking about Cheney Bush there, have told us that they want this work done. So it's going to be done through some agency and we at the NIH want to have a seat at the table. So what he's saying is that other agencies, meaning the military, meaning the CIA, meaning the, weapon, the nuclear weapons labs, um, are going to be, you know, getting money to do this work. And we want to get money to do some of this work. So put up or shut up. And he effectively intimidated because he's got his hand on the spigot of the money. Um, 
large sectors of the U.S. scientific establishment to eventually go along with this. Uh, imminent scientists 20 years ago was were calling this kind of work when, um, you know, uh, you know, crazy and insane. And it's become normalized uh, that the scientific establishment should be doing um, this kind of work. The militarization um, of U.S. society has effectively um, uh, gotten its clutches into the life sciences. And, um, uh, and now they are using COVID and the possibility that COVID came out of a lab as an excuse, as I mentioned, to further do this, to say, oh, we need more BSL-4s. Uh, our BSL-4s and 3s in the United States are safe, but they might not be safe around the world. So we need to do more of these. It's kind of like Atoms for Peace in the 1950s. Um, which spawned the Iranian uh, nuclear program, which now is considered the, you know, the great threat and the justification of all of this militarization. Um, so th those are some of the problems. I'm trying to write what I can, and I'm also, another aspect of the, what I'm trying to do is to get into news conferences and ask tough questions. I'm in D.C., and sometimes I don't enjoy being in D.C., but it gives you an opportunity to get into news conferences and ask tough questions. So I was able to ask the CDC early on uh, about Wuhan. Um, I've been getting into the State Department recently. I just asked them the other day, will they acknowledge that Israel has nuclear weapons? Everybody knows Israel has nuclear weapons, but the U.S. government is incapable of acknowledging empirical reality at times. So the U.S. government will not acknowledge that Israel has nuclear weapons. So you have these patterns of the elephant in the room not being acknowledged by the government, not that, that COVID could have come out of a lab, for example, um, and not being acknowledged by uh, the establishment media. So they should, in many respects, be seen as you know part of the same mechanism. Sam, mm -hmm. one of and, the, and, and I want to emphasize it, it, it's tragic that certain journalists who is saw that I'm sorry, it was not just the United States, mm -hmm. it's various agencies and, and scientists who were sending funds going clear back um, to the Wuhan Institute of Biology. But the Chinese Communist government's Defense Department had hired. 99 scientists, PhDs in biology, and I read one of their papers, and it was specific about weaponizing viruses. Didn't mm -hmm. talk about, you know, making a you know a safe vaccine. It was weaponization. Mm -hmm. And at what point do we begin to realize that at no no time has the Chinese government been completely open and honest and turned over all of its records and lab reports as it was requested? And yet the World Health Organization and the U.S. Public Health Service and all of our federal agencies involved in this have accepted that as if it's okay. I guess they've given us what they have, and they don't really have a whole lot. So, you know, let's move on from there. And I'm saying, hold on a second. So why don't we have a group of independent scientists and journalists and physicians and experts in the area do their own investigation? And then tell us what they've found. Show us the documentation they have. Show us all the things, all the pieces that you've been writing about and putting together. So we at least have a more honest, if not complete, understanding. Because until we have a complete understanding, you're not going to see those who were responsible held accountable. Anthony Fauci and Lewinsky and all the other FDA commissioner and their boards that have just rubber-stamped every single thing that they were told to rubber-stamp except for two people to quit because that. But the media didn't get a hold of those two people who decided, no, I'm not going to be a part of this. And that's a story. That's a big lead. Nobody touched it. Nobody touched it. And all the scientists and all the physicians who've been not just pro the protocol, but adamantly pro, where we don't want to hear anything else challenges. Now, I'm a scientist senior research fellow at the Institute of Applied Biology, head of its anti-aging division, 
Been there over 36 years. Published in peer-reviewed journals, just finishing a major study just today, sending it out. Having open and honest and civil debate and arguments is the natural process. It is not a natural process to exclude everyone that would oppose your point of view. It is not. In academia, you can't have open debates. Jonathan Haidt, I'm sure you're familiar with Jonathan Haidt, the psychologist. And he says today, he says, I don't have guest lectures. I don't show films. I don't use humor in my classes because I'm afraid of having a Title IX thrown against me by some anonymous student who was offended by something I might have said. He said, this isn't the way education should be. He is correct. But that person who is offended by something has more control frequently than a professor. As a result, we have a lot of self-censorship going on. We have somewhere between 700 and 900,000 active physicians in the United States. I've had on this program Dr. Cole and, and Dr. McCullough and uh, Dr. Perry Moore, uh, Corey. I've, I've had about 25 of those who've had the courage to speak out. Now, they all had something in common. All orthodox, all pro-vaccine, all supporting the program initially until they saw what wasn't working. Now, we signed the Great Barrington Declaration. It was a professor of epidemiology from Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford University. 75,000 people signed it initially, doctors and scientists, now it's over 800,000. The media has not done a single positive piece on that. To the contrary, they try to attack the authors as being know-nothings. Well, it just so happens one of those authors is the most cited scientist in the world today from Stanford. So all these are orthodox people. These are not complementary alternative people, and yet they're all wrong, all wrong, even though they are hard scientists. Why? Because they challenge the official narrative. Same goes too for the media. So where are the people with courage? I certainly don't see it in the, the body of uh, medicine. I don't see doctors saying, yeah, I tried some natural, I tried simple ways that I would normally treat a patient at the beginning and it worked, saved the patient's life. You don't see that. Those who have come forward, every one of their reputations has just been trashed. Dr. Robert Malone was trashed on the front page of the New York Times. So yeah. that's where we're at today. In our final moments here, Please take us through some of these issues we're not addressing, the media is not touching, and therefore no one's going to be held accountable. I think you were right to say that the Chinese government has also been obscuring things. I don't question that for a moment. Um, my issue when I raised that was that the right, the Republicans in Congress are spending their time attacking China and not examining the U.S. institutions. And that's critically important because they have power. They have subpoena power. They can get the documents, the internal documents, not redacted from EcoHealth Alliance, from the NIH, from DITRA, from DARPA, uh, the, the, uh, these are uh, elements under the Pentagon, um, uh, from even the CIA. They have subpoena power to do that. And the Republicans' obsession with China is distracting from the possibility of a solution to this. I would be delighted to be part of an investigation. There's obviously minimal resources uh, by journalists and other scientists, but we would be hampered by lack of subpoena power. Congress has that. It should use it. It's not. That's a critical point as to the Republicans who are now having some hearings finally after the Democrats have prevented installed any movement on the pandemic origin question. Another thing that we need to keep an eye on now is I mentioned the Lancet letter earlier, which was the first pillar of propaganda. One of the signers of that was uh, Jeremy Farrar, who was head of Welcome Trust. Which, is kind, which was a spinoff of one of the pharmaceuticals, an ostensible nonprofit, and it can be seen as the British analog to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He was recently named, he's going to become a chief scientist for the World Health Organization. How in the world 
can the World Health Organization name as its chief scientist somebody who signed that letter in February 2020 claiming that lab origin was a complete conspiracy theory to, you know, shut down debate. Um, you've also had, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the journalist Whitney Webb at Unlimited Hangout. I think she's done some excellent work and she recently had a very interesting deep dive into Farrar um, and his various connections. So um, this is an, and, and I should also say, I mean, it's, it's a real hall of mirrors at times. Uh, Jeffrey Sachs, who I mentioned earlier, who na initially named Peter Daszak to the Lancet Commission on Pandemic Origins, he has said some decent things lately. But he's also been totally cozying up to the WHO and pleading for more money to the WHO. So I believe that you also have a lot of players in this equation who are effectively limited hangouts. They, they'll tell you part of the truth so that you trust them, but then... Um, they'll steer you in a wrong direction. So we need to really parse through all of this, and that, that's what I'm trying to do. And thank you so much, um, uh, Gary, for, for this opportunity. Sam, thank you very much for all your lifetime worth of work. You're an honest person. You're a great investigative journalist. And there was a time when the New York Times, there was a time when MSNBC and the other networks or 60 Minutes would Invite someone like yourself on, not today, and that should tell you a lot. It tells you a lot of who you're not allowed to criticize, and we should take a look at who you're not allowed to criticize in any area in the United States today. It's very revealing. Sam Husseini is my guest. I'm Gary Knoll. Thank you all for watching and listening to the Progressive Commentary Hour. Have a nice day.